Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and today I'm actually going to review the uh, AMA statement on the Biden test and treat plan. I do want to say that this is a solo episode, and I'm doing it solo unedited, so I just want to do something a little different for you uh, you folks who are listening out there. And I think this is an important thing because we've all seen as uh, COVID hit that the pandemic has really shifted who does what and kind of established new rules and guidelines and even boundaries for scopes of practices. And I think it's a huge thing for pharmacy because we're seeing just increased access all over. And when you're trying to get 300 plus million Americans vaccinated, tested and everything else, you really need all hands on deck with this. So I'm going to actually start by reading a statement from the AMA and just kind of share what they said, then some of my commentary, then some what some other groups have said as well. Uh, this statement was attributable to Gerald E. Harmon, MD, the president of the American Medical Association. While the administration laid out promising plans earlier this week to combat COVID-19, referring to the Biden administration, and put measures in place to prevent future pandemics, the pharmacy-based clinic component of the test and treat plan flaunts patient safety and risk, risk significant negative health outcomes. This approach, though well-intentioned in that it attempted to increase access to care for patients without a primary care physician, oversimplifies the challenging prescribing decisions by omitting knowledge of patients' medical history, the complexity of drug interactions, and managing possible negative reactions. For starters, Paxlovid is 88% effective at preventing hospitalizations and death, but also has six pages of drug interactions, including interactions that may require a patient to hold, change, or reduce doses of their medication. Malpirnavir, if I said that right, the other anti-oral antiviral medication is not authorized for people under 18 because it can affect bone cartilage, bone and cartilage growth and should not be used during pregnancy while breastfeeding or while breastfeeding. The AMA is pleased the administration is ramping up supply of antivirals, so in the near future they will be broadly available. But in the meantime, establishing pharmacy-based clinics as one-stop shopping for COVID-19 testing and treatments is extremely risky. Pharmacy-based clinics typically treat illness, illnesses such as strep throat, yet COVID-19 is a complex disease and there are many issues to consider when prescribing COVID-19 antiviral medication. Leaving prescribing decisions this complex in the hands of people without knowledge of the patient's medical history is, da- is dangerous and practice and precedent. We urge patients who test positive for COVID-19 to contact their physician to discuss treatment options. COVID-19 is not strep throat. It is a complicated disease that has killed nearly a million people in the United States. The COVID-19 vaccines work. These antivirals can work with t- when taken properly and timely. After two years of this pandemic, we have the tools at hand to, to prevent severe outcomes from and treat COVID-19. We must marshal our resources smartly and effectively, which means under the guidance and supervision of physicians with expertise to deal with complex medical conditions. So I obviously have comments on this because I don't mind being a little bit outspoken on some of these issues. Uh, but yeah, I think it's pretty interesting when they say that the pharmacy-based clinic component to the test and treat plan flaunts patient safety and risk significant negative health outcomes. How? I, if anything, this makes it quicker, easier to access, and they don't have to line up at a clinic or go to an ER or something that could be ungodly expensive for such a simple process. I don't think that that is anything that's out of our scope as pharmacists. If anything, it lets us start practicing the top of our education, not just the top of our license, which is a comment I kind of like to bring up negative times here because I can easily read any test. I mean, we can do A1C testing. We can do all that stuff, and that's 
pretty easy when it comes to reading a negative or positive COVID test, to be quite honest. A lot more interpretation with those numbers or even blood pressure than it is with just a positive or negative COVID test. Uh, incre increase access to care for patients without a primary care physician. Well, there's a lot of people out there that have that issue. And with physicians also having a bigger and bigger shortage and less primary care physicians or family medicine docs available, this is where pharmacists can really step up. When we are expected to have a negative job growth and with nurses also leaving the the uh, healthcare market pretty rapidly due to COVID, I don't necessarily blame them for their working conditions, that uh, you know, there's a lot of us who don't have primary care physicians. I technically don't have a primary care physician I've seen in the past really two years. So you know, does that mean that I should just be denied care because it's going to take me months to get into primary care physician? I think that is a very archaic and <laughs> archaic way of thinking about it that just doesn't apply to most people. Uh, another statement here by the AMA, the complexity of drug interactions and managing possible negative reactions. That's literally what pharmacists do. I'm not sure if uh, Gerald Harmon even understands what a pharmacist is or does, but I, if you're the president of American Pharmacists Association and you don't think the pharmacists can handle drug interactions, you should probably just step down. You clearly don't understand healthcare, and that's all I can really say about that. Uh, he also listed their six page of drug interactions. Well, you know, there's a lot of drugs like that. I mean, yeah, Paxlovid has a lot. It does take some monitoring and reporting stuff, but warfarin has tons of drug interactions. I mean, look at the HIV medications and like ritonavir, how many drug interactions they have. Yet pharmacists have proven time and time again to be very effective in working with patients like that. I mean, Lipitor has a ton just because of the 3A4 interactions. So, like, I think that's a pretty, again, ignorant statement by uh, Dr. Harmon there. Another statement they have here is uh, that these drug interactions may require a patient to hold, change, or reduce doses of other medications. We'd literally get referrals to pharmacy for that. Of We don't know. Hey, we go to them. Again, I don't think Dr. Harmon knows what a pharmacist is or does, and I think that's really concerning here when I look at this. Another, okay, from Alpirinavir, they also mentioned that uh, you know it's not authorized people under 18 because it can affect bone and cartilage growth and should not be used during pregnancy or while breastfeeding. I mean, that's like one or two questions on like a simple form or check sheet. Like most pharmacy technicians can help check for that, let alone the pharmacist. So I don't think that's a huge thing. Like there can even be a little counseling point on there. Like if anything, we were pretty good at that. We do it all the time for... All the vaccines, and it's not even really indifferent that. Granted, we give vaccines to pregnant people, but we still always check and ask. Alrighty, so we have here, establishing pharmacy-based clinics as a one-stop shop for COVID-19 testing and treatment is extremely risky. Again, I don't understand how. We're in a pandemic that spreads you know, via how many places you go to, how much contact you have, the time you have. And sending people to a place like an ER or a clinic where they have to wait or then be exposed to more people who are at risk just makes sense. When we have more pharmacies available, you can then minimize the travel and spread of something like that, especially when we have a lot of them have drive throughs I'm not the biggest drive through fan. I've said that multiple times on this podcast, but they came in really handy for, you know, testing people with COVID-19 where they could be outside in their car and doing it. So, I mean, this is, again, just another kind of really ignorant statement by the AMA when it comes to just understanding what a pharmacy is and how we're set up and how we can actually minimize things like that. I'd much rather go to the pharmacy and, hell, pay cash, $100, $150 for a COVID test as a PCR than have to walk into an ER and just ruin, add one more thing to their day to just, just ruin their care and things like that that is just not what we need in a pandemic. Let's see, they have here, a pharmacy-based clinics typically treat simple illnesses such as strep throat, yet COVID-19 is complex and as many issues to consider when prescribing antivirals. But the antivirals are 88% effective at preventing hospitalization and death. That's kind of like the key takeaway here, right? So if 
pharmacists can give a drug after we have a black and white result or, you know, a, along with maybe a little bit of, you know, sitting down, talking about to patients about if it applies and looking at their drug or medication list, which we usually have, then if we can keep 88% of people who have it out of the hospital with this medication and who qualify for it, obviously, why would we not do that? Like, that's the whole point of the, you know, st- you know, stop the spread, like flatten the curve. Like, that's literally what this is doing. So for the a- AMA to make this kind of statement is pretty silly because I'd hate to send people to ER when they just get Tamiflu anyway. And this is like, for lack of better use, a glorified version of that. Although COVID is more complex than the flu, I will totally uh, say that, and this has more drug interactions, that just yet again says why we need have a need for more access to it. Uh, another statement here says that leaving prescribing decisions this complex in the hands of people without knowledge of patients' medical history is dangerous in practice and precedent. Well, some pharmacists do have EMR, so we do have their medical history. On top of that, a number of us also have, we can even see how often they're taking their medication pretty accurately. And a lot of times they're diagnosis codes on prescription. So we can have a pretty good guess as well as talk with the patient about it. So when you're talking about a pandemic, especially, or something like this, that's an infectious disease, it's, we're well suited to get that. Like that's, again, it's just another statement of, I don't think, I, I don't know what they think pharmacists do, but clearly they have a major lack of understanding at the AMA. Okay. And then one of the last parts here is they said, these antivirals can work when taken properly and timely. Yeah. And you know how you get things taken properly and timely is you expand testing and access because sometimes people can't make it to ER, have to wait hours on end. And if you've ever been in ER in the pandemic, you might've waited 10 or 12 hours. That really could affect the effectiveness of how quickly you get something like this. So I think that's important. I mean, this, this is a damn pharmacy. Like there's like how many thousands of them? They're all over the place. Like there's what 90 something percent of people live within five miles of a pharmacy. That's how you do this and get it timely and get it quickly because not everyone can afford the luxury of driving all the way across town or driving three counties over or whatever it is to go that have to wait in line and hope that they can get access to something like this. So, I mean, this just makes sense. Like who can, you can almost never get into a physician the same day unless you're going to do an ER and urgent care, which even then the pandemic we've seen might not be the most timely and definitely not the most cost effective. So why would you wait months then if you were trying to get into like a regular physician's office or at least several weeks or just pray that they call you because they had a cancellation that happened? I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. The last line in here really kind of drove me nuts. It says, the, uh, <laughs> but we must marshal our resources smartly and effectively, which means under the guidance and supervision of physicians with expertise to deal with complex medications. Uh, hi, I'm not sure if uh, Dr. Harmon understands this, but the D in 5D stands for doctorate. And I think that's something we want to call out here is we are literally the experts for dealing with complex medications. Sure, some specialties and for physicians are great with it, but then they are a specialty and forget about other parts of the medications. I've seen that firsthand with people who work in something like oncology who might forget some of the other basic guidelines. People who work in cardiology who have no idea of other guidelines. And that's just why we have pharmacists, right? Like that's why we have the D in PharmD. I think Dr. Harmon needs to learn that. I mean, it says MD by his name. I'm sure that he understands that stands for medical doctorate. PharmD stands for pharmacy doctorate. So I don't understand quite where the disconnect there is with him. Uh, But I think it's pretty interesting because we've even had several other groups, not just APHA and every pharmacy organization call out the AMA on this, but even uh, IDSE, which is the Infectious Disease Special Edition, which is a quarterly magazine that comes out that has reviewed by people who know ID, 
came out and basically criticized this statement by the AMA saying that it doesn't exactly reflect what uh, what we need to do in a pandemic or probably even the way we should uh, address infectious diseases going forward. If we can simply treat things like strep, strep throat, flu, COVID-19 with a test and treat plan at pharmacies and keep people out of ERs, that reduces healthcare costs. And as we know, as we do health, reduce healthcare costs, we keep people healthier. And we also reduce tax burden. And I'm cheap and I don't like paying incredibly high taxes. So I think that's a good way to also look at this. It's a win on all fronts by every way I see it. I was at the APHA uh, meeting in San Antonio this year. I would not sit in this House of Delegates meeting, I believe because I was presenting at this time. But the AMA did release a statement on the uh, AMA statement. So there's a statement on a statement here. But I think it was pretty telling. And it was pretty much a good slapdown from what they said. I know Scott Knorr was uh, excited about it and was you know pumped and just fist pumping about when he saw this statement come out by them. Uh, so I'm going to read this here. Uh, so the APHA House of Delegates calls for removal of barriers to access pharmacist-provided patient services care. The American Pharmacist Association House of Delegates passed policy in order to break down barriers that stand in the way of patients' ability to receive optimal and accessible care through pharmacists. Now it's time for all healthcare professions to work together to expand access to care during this critical moment of our nation. There are no other healthcare professionals with a more extensive training in medication, in medication use and safety than pharmacists which is true and goes exactly against, I think, what AMA thinks pharmacists do. Pharmacists provide patient care services related to medication by testing, treating, immunizing, and educating patients, managing medication therapies, and providing consultative advice and information to other healthcare professionals. The pandemic has highlighted the tremendous health disparities in our nation, and pharmacists are able to directly address these disparities among socially disadvantaged, underserved communities. APHA's policy calls for on the American Medical Association to join dozens of other organiz healthcare organizations who recognize and support pharmacists providing essential care, that, such as testing and immunization, which has been and will be so important for this throughout this pandemic and beyond. For decades, pharmacists and physicians are working together providing care to improve health outcomes for their patients. AMA's policies directly conflict with contemporary standards of practice and pharmacists' extensive training and expertise. These policies impede the ability of healthcare professionals to work together to address health equity and provide accessible care to vulnerable populations. To break down the barriers preventing patients from accessing pharmacist services and address recent public statements by the AMA on the administration's test-to-treat test COVID-19 plan, again, that's what Biden addressed in the State of the Union, and the AMA's current House of Delegates policy opposing pharmacist prescribing authority, APHA's House of Delegates passed the following policy statement APHA's annual meeting and exposition held in San Antonio, Texas, March 17th through 21, 2022. APHA opposes policies and practices by the AMA, American Medical Association, and other professional organizations that inhibit interprofessional care, patient access to pharmacist-provided care, and health equity. APHA calls on the American Medical Association to rescind its policies opposing expanded scope of practice for pharmacists. APHA adamantly supports the continuation and expansion of collaborative practice or collaborative patient care models among pharmacists, physicians, and other healthcare professionals to improve patient access to healthcare, health equity, and health outcomes. APHA House of Delegates is a policymaking body of APHA. A little bit of other stuff to finish out there. But I think there's a really good call out by the APHA and really standing up to the AMA. And we've seen ASHP and every other pharmacy organization you can think of uh, say this. I, I I don't, I couldn't, I didn't really look for any nursing statements on it, but I can't imagine with the burnout they're facing and how many are leaving their profession that they want more people shoved into hospitals with more staffing issues and ratios that are just 
bad environments for care, whether it be in ICUs or in the nursing, just on general floors. So I think that this can well be supported by everybody. And I know that a lot of pharmacists are going to be up in arms like, oh, God, now I have to test and treat all these people. Well, I think that this is a way we can kind of move from this into provider status as well. We kind of saw uh, provider status light kind of come forward with the ECAPs, which was um, sponsored by, I know it's Buddy Card or RepKind. I'm forgetting the other ones on uh, to the top of my head, but RepKind out of Minnesota. And so this is a way that pharmacy can kind of get away and have more of that service and actually taking care of people in a quick fashion as opposed to like an ER or something like that, but also gets away from that we're tied to the product, the product being the pills and the PBM issues. Like this is like a medical service we can bill through right to the insurance. And yeah, people are like, okay, you're looking at the dollars and cents of it. Yeah, but I'm also looking at like the health of our profession, how we can actually take care of people. And by improving in the access to things like this, that just makes it easier so you're not waiting. And you know, when we look at some of the health disparities, I've seen personally where people can't go online and make appointments or necessarily know that they can, which pharmacy has it or where to look, go online to look. And if you can expand that to a lot of pharmacies, that means they can walk in and maybe have to wait one pharmacy for a few minutes, but like they can get that pretty quickly and then get the results in whatever timeline we're looking at, whether it's a day or two, or maybe it's within a rapid test that's in like 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. So I think this is really key. And almost the funny thing is where, where I work, every physician and almost every nurse is okay with pharmacy testing and doing things like that. Like if anything, we're usually the ones that's first looked to and, the, the ones who are like the pros at this, when it, especially when it comes to vaccines. So I think that's it's a really good call out that so many people are really turning to us for this. I know multiple times people have turned to me and said, hey, can you get tests? This isn't going to like, you know, the CMO or like the, the, the lead in nursing or anybody like that. This is going right to like the pharmacy director and saying, hey, how can you guys get tests and can you do this? Can you make this operational? Things like that. So I think we're seeing a huge culture shift. And there was a survey out, I think it was, two-thirds or three-quarters of physicians are okay with pharmacists doing this. And I think the similar number do not do not belong to the AMA, if not higher. In fact, none of the physicians I know who have, who have asked about this at all actually belong to the AMA. So I think that's pretty telling that the AMA doesn't have support of the boots on the ground, medical doctors who they claim to be representing. And I, I can go for just number, a wide number of physicians I know who don't always support the AMA and many times are hypercritical of them and say that they have their head in the sand on things like this. So listeners, if you can share this, get it out. But I think this is a, just a kind of like my my thoughts and discussion on this topic. And I want to get it out there. I know I'm a little late, but I kind of, after hearing the APHA statement, wanted them to actually publicly push it out there so I could share it as well to kind of get both sides of this debate. And You'll probably guess which side I, I'm on here. I agree with APHA on this, and I think the AMA doesn't even understand what a pharmacist is, which is sad because they should really understand that since we save their butts a lot of times when it comes to drug interactions. And not shaming them when I say that, but I just think it's an important point to call out here because doctors have saved my butt a few times too. So I, it goes both ways, but something that, you know, we're the gatekeepers for a reason here and allowing us to expand a little bit so we can better take care of people makes sense because we're educated to do that. The licenses might not say that, but I think that like in any profession, the licensing has to catch up to the education, which is still sorely needed in pharmacy and many other fields. But with that, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.